I came to a realization a long time ago. There are probably more marketers and salesmen in the world than there are engineers. It nicely explains two things. One, it explains why we have so much crap. And B, it explains why all of it's broken. This is Control Structure, episode 80, for February 21st, 2015. Big, huge week to everyone listening, literally. This show has show notes. Visit nexus.tv slash cs80 to see them. I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and with me again this week is the other host, Stephen Orvis. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. Coming out of a, a tiring week, though. Yeah, uh, both of us, actually, and it doesn't help that we got uh, snowed on quite a bit today. Yes, we, we did have quite a bit of snow, and then it warmed up here in the evening. I saw it was, it was 30 degrees last time I saw it, so yeah, it's, probably it's making ice on the roads. It's it's absolutely lovely. It's like, hey, we got a lot of snow, but hey, it warmed up. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so... Let's see, it was uh, two weeks ago or so that uh, we met uh, you and I and Chris at a uh, local restaurant, and I'm not exactly sure how we got on the topic, but you started talking about an Indian restaurant, and you know, by now everyone should know, Chris is a little special. And I'm talking he is about special. And I'm talking about the one on the TED episode, not the uh, former host of this one. Uh, he misuses the word racist like a lot. He called an Indian restaurant run by Indians serving Indian food to everyone. He called that racist. Yes, just because the Indians happen to like Indian food, so they just happen to congregate in that restaurant since they serve Indian food. Yes, and. I brought this up to him, uh, I think it was, like, earlier this week, and he's like, well, do they hire non-Indians there? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure that they would if they knew how to make Indian food. I mean, hey, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some Mexicans in there. There, There is one lady in there. I, I mean, I'm not positive because Indians look different. Like, they're not all the same because right. it's such a big country. Uh-huh. But there is one lady in there that... I thought maybe was a different nationality than Indian, so quite possibly they do hire other yeah. nationalities. Um, because you know, I say this because I was must have been like ten years ago in a uh, Chinese restaurant back in my hometown. That I'm pretty sure one of the cooks back there was actually Mexican, not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but he looked Chinese enough, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Besides, it's Chinese food. Like, practically anyone can make that now. So, I was, so, so I have a funny side story. Uh, once my my family went to a Chinese restaurant, and like one of those buffet-style ones, uh-huh. and my mom, uh, you know, like the, how the, the owner of the restaurant would come by and say how good, you know, how things are going and stuff like that. My mom mentioned how, how good the, the, the buffet was, and she'd been trying to make talk or something. She said, do, do you make this all yourself or, or something like that? She said, oh, no, no, no. We just, you know, open up the packages and, like, heat them up was basically her answer. Yeah, yeah. So I got visions of, like, frozen food that they just bring in and put in the microwave and then they pop it out on the... <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, you know, it's, 
the sad truth is, like many restaurants, that's pretty much what they do. Except they might actually, you know, like cook it on a stove or something rather than in a microwave. Yes. Once、uh, I I went to that. Oh, it's that that place.、Uh, do you know where the the Taco Bell? That same place where we go sometimes before church. You mean the KFC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The KFC that serves tacos. <laughs> Yeah, there's a pork place in that that area in there. I went there with Pastor Clark once, and yeah, I, I've been there too. Okay, yeah, and he ordered baked beans, and I guess they must have been cold. He 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 comes, he asks the waiter, he said, "Could you zap these in the microwave again for for three seconds or three <laughs> minutes or something like that?" And, Yeah, it was funny because the, the acknowledgement was you probably microwave them to begin with, but you didn't microwave them long enough. So <laughs> just do it again. Yeah, it's it's like directly across the parking lot from there. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty much directly. It's like, across it's the like on the end of that next、uh, strip mall. Yes, it is on the end of the next strip mall. So,、uh, anyways,、uh, did you turn off your video or something? I think my video is on. I thought I was noticing that your video appeared to be off. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my video is on. Okay, well, I'm seeing an ad、lock. for some for some reason.、Uh, anyways, uh, you uh, like to play Jenga, I guess. Yes, especially with this、uh, new Jenga pistol. I came across this website called、uh, WoodGears.ca, and they have all sorts of、uh, interesting projects. Uh, the the guys made out of wood. The whole concept is this guy's, I guess, an engineer, and he's making different stuff out of wood. And but this Jenga pistol, what it does is it actually has a wooden bolt that slides by a rubber band, and it 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 strikes the block and it'll bump it right out of the tower. So he has a video up there, and you can see shoot like a block on either side, and then that middle block, he shoot that too, and it just goes flying out, and the whole stack just falls and、yeah. it stays in place. Really nice. It's 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 pretty fun to watch the video there. Yeah, it's sort of like a rail gun. Yeah, essentially it is. Except, except not like space age or anything. <laughs> yeah, rubber band isn't. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's basic principle. So, um, hey, talking about space age and railguns and stuff. Uh, movies. Uh, pretty much every movie over the past couple of years is either all orange or it's all blue. So, in in thinking about it. Fire is a very common theme, and especially action movies, and then yeah, the explosions. Yep, explosions. So that gives you your orange, and and then it is they they showed an example of、uh, like the blues and stuff. They show like the night in the museum, and the article there was showing like has like the blue tints contrasting with the gold. It, it is very true as you kind of look at it. Yeah. So I mean, sorry if this will change your、uh, you know how you watch movies forever. But、uh, you know, it's it's you know, I guess it's sort of like a post-processing effect that、uh, you know, like especially like、uh, since now everything has moved to、uh, digital filmmaking, that、uh, you know they pretty much you know is like, oh well, we want uh, uh, like the picture to convey this kind of mood, like whether you know it's a upbeat or a like sort of sad sort of scene. Yeah, it was, it was interesting the. They're talking the article about how this hasn't always been this trend. Like as you mentioned, it was a thing with it being the digital processing. It's easier to to change and adjust the colors. They show like an example picture from the Wizard of Oz and and how the the color tint is is different with the Wizard of Oz. It's they don't use the same color tints because they were using different technology then. Yeah. So and then they、uh, have an example of movie posters, which 
for some reason, by definition, are uh, way more saturated in colors. And they're pretty much, all of them is either blue or orange. So, and, uh, like, even, uh, even before, uh, like, you know, as you said, like, with, with, the, with the Wizard of Oz, like, 50 plus years ago, that it was actually the, uh, the actual chemical ke- techniques that they used in the filmmaking process that, uh, you know, gave, uh, gave a picture, you know, that color. Yes. I was, I was, I was thinking about it, and I, I it seems to me that I've even seen, like, uh, the, the film technologies per se of the, like personal people use it kind of changed over time too if you think about it i mean you, you, the black and white's kind of an extreme example but just going into photography i like the 35s like the tints and stuff you right. see see with them i feel like maybe if you're compared to different ages and stuff that you would see different colors thinking the the polaroid instant cameras uh-huh. they have a very distinctive tint to them that they kind of looks different and so really in a sense we have a progression just as the movies progress through we have the different technical changes have changed what's normal what a what a normal picture picture looks like yep so uh hey you might be uh, looking for a job or anyone uh at least it's uh, always a good idea to at least keep a uh, resume updated and uh you know let's think about it for a little bit uh various results oriented anything like synergy out of the box, utilize, vary. These are terms that should be omitted immediately. Um, so, like I've noticed over the past couple of months, especially, you know, uh, with, uh, talking to Chris, you want to eliminate, uh, all the vagueness in your, uh, speech. Um, that, uh, you know, these words, they're essentially buzzwords and they don't really convey any kind of meaning. Yeah, they're, they're really words that try, that are trying to make you sound smart, but like you said, it's not really conveying anything that their example, oh, it wasn't utilized. What's the other word that they mentioned in there? Uh, various. Various, yes, that was the one. They gave a sentence example of, was it worked on projects, worked on various projects, that there is really no effective difference between... Various and different. Yeah, th- there isn't, and it's, it's just not adding value to it. if you just say worked on projects that except means the same except thing. if we you were to write the word different instead of various you would come off as something like a sullen teenager i worked on a few different projects but whatever they weren't really descriptive just various yes so, so it's really bringing up the true meaning of what by saying various is actually doing to yeah. that describe various yep yeah, so I, I guess the, the lesson learned from this is not only do you want to avoid those vague words, you also would want to follow up with, well, how can you make it less vague and make it more specific? So instead of doing your various projects, maybe that's a time to go ahead and list a couple worked on projects, including or, so, or something like that, and list some high-level things of what might you have worked on. Yeah, and Synergy actually had a meaning. It's just that everyone jumped on the bandwagon, watered it down. See, the synergy thing was kind of a new one for me. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah, it's it's where the uh, combination of two things is greater than its sum. That's essentially what it means. But huh. now it's it's a very dirty word, and you should stay away from it.
Raspberry. 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 So, uh, some big news. Uh, after revealing the Raspberry Pi 2, uh, the Raspberry Pi Foundation has reported that uh, they have sold over 5 million Raspberry Pis, uh, like as in total, uh, including half a million Raspberry Pi 2s. So that, that's pretty impressive because considering the Raspberry Pis 2s just came out. Yes. Um, another surprising fact is that... Uh, They've only sold about 100,000 to 150,000 of the Model A and A-plus units. It, it seems like there's not much value in the A's. Yeah. Just because you don't, you lose your network port, you lose a USB port there, I think. I think it only has one port. Yeah. And so it's kind of, if you want that, you want something low power, something that's cheap. Even though the Pi is already cheap, but you want something cheaper and just to set it someplace. I feel like most of these Pi sales were just people having fun with the Raspberry yeah. Pi, doing something like, with the Raspberry Pi. Or or you buy a Model A because you're a masochist. Like, you like pain. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to deal with not having a network port, yes, that would... <laughs> It definitely makes life easier if you can't like get drivers working or something. You can at least plug her into the Ethernet cable, and then that just makes life easier. Or, to have, or have a, a USB nick. Yeah, that's true. You you could plug in a USB nick, but then you just used up one of your ports, and so now you've got to find a hub. Yep, you probably need a hub anyway. So, anyways, uh, that's not the very interesting story about the Raspberry Pi. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Hey, we, yes. even, we were even talking about photography. We, it is about photography. So it seems that the, a reporter, let me check this reporter, is, someone was taking pictures of the new Raspberry Pi 2, and uh, they noticed that when they were taking pictures, it was crashing. So it turns out Like that every time. Yes. And so it turns out there's actually a chip. It says that the, the chip's marked U16 on this silk screening on your Pi 2 between the USB power supply and the HDMI port. And so uh, I guess that chip is sensitive to light and is causing the circuitry to not work when it gets so, extreme light. So the uh, the thing is that that U16 chip, I believe it was? Yes. Uh, is uh, apparently photosensitive. Um, but it's... It needs to have a very bright and specific kind of light. And uh, this guy apparently was a, uh, uh, like, I don't know, like, as you said, I'm not sure if he was a reporter, but he actually had some professional equipment that had a xenon flash bulb to it. Um, so as it turns out that uh, this xenon flash has just the right spectrum and is just the right intensity to cause this. So... Yeah. So it took, like, uh, about, uh, he flashed it once, and he's like, okay, this just crashed for some reason. And then uh, he uh, took another picture of it, and I'm like, then he realized, oh, it must be something with me taking the picture of it that causes it to crash. (laughs) It doesn't like his picture being taken. (laughs) So he did it a third time, and he's like, okay, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, So so this, uh, it's uh, photosensitive, or like photoelectric effect, it's sort of... It's sort of like a solar panel, but very inefficient. Yeah. So, so go, kind of going back to what you said earlier, like it's not really affected by. It's only affected by very specific types of light. It says in the article, it says other bright lights, even camera flashes using other technologies, won't set it off. You can take your naked Pi two in the sunshine for a picnic, or take it to a rave, and it would be perfectly solid. 
Uh, yeah, and uh, so common everyday light sources like bright sunlight, indoor lighting, or angry cyclists don't cause this to happen. So it it's, it seems like under most normal conditions that people would have it. Like this, for me, the sunlight would be what I care about because I'm likely to have pies in and around the outdoors right. at different time points in time. So if it like doesn't crash the outdoors, that's to me pretty decent. And about the angry cyclist thing, apparently uh, in Cambridge, which is where the uh, Pi Foundation is, that uh, a lot of the employees there like to bike in, and uh, they have like pretty much the brightest source of lights that they can find is their bike lights. Oh, I see. So, so they're testing their bike lights on it. Yeah. In fact, uh, I have like one of these. It's like it's that one uh, that I got uh, a few months ago. Which oh, is yes, I, I remember that shining down on me right now. I I can't see because you because you have your webcam off. But okay, well that's weird because I thought it was on. Okay, so um, yes. Uh, so the uh solution to this, I guess, is uh that they uh pretty much advise you to if this affects you, either to put it in a light uh how should I say opaque case so like light cannot get through. Or put some, uh, like blue tack or like some sort of non-conducting, non-conducting goo over the, uh, over that U16 chip there. Yes. So, so it's good that this has come out early rather than later because it probably saved, uh, people down the road having issues and have, you know, cause this could be an intermediate problem. Like if you didn't know about it, it might just randomly happen and well, I mean, you would never really know why. Well, I mean, it, it's not really that damaging unless, like, you're writing something to the SD card, so... Not damaging, but it's an interruption of the service, so I may have something really important hooked up to the Pi, and crashing the, the Pi crashing might be really bad and catastrophic. Yeah. So, so, so if for a scenario like that, that it's really important to know things like this up front. Yeah. And then, you, like you said, we you can put some paste on it or something and, and deal with it and make sure it doesn't happen. All right. So uh, recently it came out that uh, Anthem, the health insurance company, was attacked, like hacked pretty bad. And it didn't actually happen overnight. It seems to have started back in April. And uh, uh, Brendan Krebs here, I believe, Brian Krebs, uh, has a report here uh, pretty much pointing it back to China. Um, so like the uh, the IP address where this was supposedly coming from uh, was the host of a uh, very particularly named domain uh, called we11point.com. So it sort of looks like wellpoint.com. Ah, tricky. Which, which uh, apparently wellpoint was like the former name of Anthem or something. Uh, so like uh, uh, it could very easily trick up someone. Yeah, that that could because it, it, they look just like Ellis. So, and, uh, like, I didn't really get too far into this, uh, but, you know, uh, it, it essentially goes back, uh, you know, to both, uh, China and it started way back in April. So, you know, it's, like, I'm not exactly sure, like, how, how well that they were monitoring their network for this. So, um... Yeah, did you uh like read a little bit more into this? I was I was still scanning the article here. They're talking some about uh, Cisco and VPNs. I was trying to catch what the deal was with that. If they were they were trying to get p- users to connect to their fake VPN. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very interesting analysis here. So, and uh 
Like I noticed this graph, a uh, percent of breaches where time to compromise uh, divided by time to discovery was days or less. So, and that uh, seems to be on average increasing. So then again, maybe this breach of at Anthem isn't as bad as it seems. After all, if the above data and pundits are to be believed, the attackers were looking for a needle in a haystack, uh, searching for data on a few individuals that might give Chinese spies a better way to better siphon military technology or in infiltrate some U.S. defense program. So the, the, the point is that there's so much on the Internet that while well, it's easy to attack one specific thing, it still is going to take a lot of time. Is that kind of the the concept? Yeah, because there's so many people out there. So, uh, but with all these uh, data attacks and hacks, it's a good idea to delete old business stuff. So, uh, Bruce Sh Schreiner has uh, suggested that you know pretty much all emails uh, can probably delete be deleted after about two years. Uh, like, uh, and also like uh, internal business correspondence also, and. See so, you know, it's it's sort of the idea that, you know, storage is cheap, but going through and deciding which data to keep is not cheap. See, I would disagree with that. I mean, I understand the security and aspect of it and all that. But on the other hand, uh, for instance, like this issue, issue that I was dealing with at work uh, this week, there had been decisions that were made about two years ago. And I remembered talking about them. I remembered kind of remembered the decisions, but I didn't remember the details. And one of the people had left the company. And so all I had was the emails that we had sent back and forth. And I was able to find those emails. And that helped us understand the problem and understand some of the decisions that were made at that point in time. Had those been deleted, we would have had a lot harder time in figuring this problem out. True. Uh, but was that in like some sort of uh, like specification? Like what was this decision about in general? Uh, it was something we had sent a client, we had told them we'd do something, and then later we had uh, questioned if we wanted to do that, and it, we just had a miscommunication in communing, communicating that decision back to the client, and so we were trying to figure out what was decided and when and why. Mm. So it was just, I mean, it was basically normal email traffic. In In essence, what I'm saying is any email that I send to someone or any email that someone sends to me could be important someday. Right. Even those common emails. I mean, at that time of the decision when it was made, it, it was in everyone's mind and everyone knew about it. But fast forward a couple of years later, everyone forgets. I mean, sometimes I can't remember the code that I wrote last week. It just goes right. from your mind. And but by having that digital record that allows us to keep it. So his 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 solution is so hackers might get in and get this stuff. So let's just delete everything that we don't don't want. The old stuff, and so he's really he's saying, well, we can't stop them, so this just deleted all. I mean, maybe companies need to be more careful about stuff, encrypt stuff. And yeah, uh, I know, like one thing my company did is we encrypted all the laptops. So if someone gets a hold of a laptop, at least everything's encrypted on the laptop. Yeah. Uh, see, customer data should be deleted as soon as it is not immediately useful. Internal emails can probably be deleted after a few months. Uh, instant messaging chats even more quickly and other documents in one to two years. Exceptions, of course, but they should be exceptions. So individuals should need to deli deliberately flag documents and correspondence for longer retention. So, you know, it's not like, uh, how should I say, like a blanket thing. You know, um, it is, but it isn't, because that's, that's what I'm saying, is I didn't, I, then I didn't know that I'd need that email. It was just a, a 
basically a private email between me and my team leader about that decision. Hmm. But it was the only documentation I had of that decision. So that helped us understand what the decision had been and why. So, but then again, the customer is always right. So yes, the customer is <laughs> always right. Ultimately, you've got to make it make it work with the customer, which we did. We we got it fixed. So uh, we mentioned uh, way back at the uh, Apple event last time that everyone was uh, like, you know, how should I say, getting all excited over uh, that. Apparently, one of the things that they announced was Swift. Uh, this, uh, Swift is apparently the new programming language that Apple wants all the, uh, all the apps in their app store to be programmed in. Uh, so, but, uh, it's, you know, pretty much a, uh, platform specific, uh, kind of deal. But, uh, apparently some people are trying to make a Swift compiler that compiles to Android and .NET, uh, and JVM as also. So this opens up a whole, whole interesting set of things now. It's, it's kind of going the same direction that Microsoft went with it, opening up the .NET framework. It just helps things be more open. And, and the fact that I wrote logic in one place means I should be able to execute it in other places. It's very much like the, the mono develop. You uh-huh. can write, uh, no, it's not mono. De- well, it is used with mono develop, but it's the, another company that took over mono, mono develop. You can Xamarin, write code. Probably. Xamarin. Yep. Yep. That's it right there. And you can write code in your, your .NET and compile it. And it compiles a version for your Android and it compiles a version for the Apple. And so you can get both with the same code and, and, and sharing code like that's always a good thing. Yep. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, at least with this, you know, you can, uh, port things uh, a lot easier and faster. Yep. So, uh, I can't remember if you said you had a solid state drive. I do have a solid state drive on my desktop uh, that has Linux on it. So, um, like everyone's pretty concerned about solid state drives and their uh, like wear leveling and uh, like essentially how many write cycles that they can take. Yeah, that's always kind of a, a a point of concern. People will map their temp folder to someplace else, like on a physical hard drive, or they do various things just to try to minimize the number. Uh oh, you said that word. You said the V word. Various. Various. <laughs> different things. I'm fine with using different there. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. All sorts of stuff. So, uh, apparently, some people running the uh, BSD package build machines. Uh, they have, uh, they apparently put, uh, solid state drives in there about two years ago. And, uh, they, uh, recently went back and checked the health of these drives. And, uh, apparently the wear and tear on them has probably been lower than what you'd think. So after four to about 550 days of, uh, like being on and being used, apparently the, uh, SSD wear levels are maybe one or two percent. So I, I was thinking back, we've done a couple of times an article on a place that's stress testing some hard drives. Are they it, it, uh, was the one SSD, of them on SSDs? The SSD stress test? Yeah, I, I believe we've done an article yeah, yeah, about we've, that. In, in, we've done several, I think. Yeah, and, and, and those SSDs, as I recall, there's certain brands are better than others, but some brands were holding up surprisingly well, way past what they were seemed to be rated for. So yeah. it seems depending upon the brand, SSDs can be decently stable. So, uh, you know, they actually posted the uh, output of, I think, Smart CTL. Uh, that's a very interesting and very useful program I found that pretty much dumps all of the, uh, like, the diagnostic and the uh, 
how should I say, the uh, uh, SMART values, I think they're called. Yes, yes, the SMART values. I think it's actually an acronym, because when I see it, it is. printed, it's normally like in capital letters, like it's an acronym. Yes. So let me look that I up I hear there. Google happening. Uh, actually, uh, Wikipedia. Aha. Technology, SMART, self-monitoring, analysis, and reporting technology. There you go, that makes sense. So this, you know, encompasses, I don't know, like 20 or 30 different variables. So, and each of which can indicate that a drive is going bad. So, but apparently the solid state drives that are used to build packages all the time uh, for BSD, uh, actually, not that bad. So, this isn't really news per se, but the FCC votes on net neutrality on February 28th. That is this Thursday. So I guess we'll know how much of a dingo that Tim Wheeler is. If Title II actually happens, he is our dingo. So, um, the, uh, you know, pretty much all of the, uh, uh, how, how should I say, the excitement and the consternation or whatever, uh, around, uh, you know, uh, internet data being classified as Title II and essentially being a, you know, more of a utility uh, you know, pretty much comes down to, uh, you know, the FCC and next mm-hmm. Thursday. So there is going to be an explosion of news, uh, next Thursday coming out of this. Sure. I haven't seen specific articles, but I, I heard rumors that part of this, this stuff was they might be putting in like taxes and, and things that haven't previously existed on the internet if they do reclassify it. I, Have you heard any, anything about that? I also heard those concerns, but, I'm pretty sure that Mr. Wheeler has stated that there will be massive forbearance on the Title II rules and will only apply like three or four. And like all of them deals, you know, around with, you know, having equal access uh, to, you know, the, you know, the service, I guess you call it. Um, And nothing about, you know, pricing or taxes or anything else. In fact, uh, I believe Congress uh, has continually renewed laws stating that you cannot tax uh, internet service. So it'd be good if there's laws in place to to ensure that that doesn't happen. So you know, taxes on internet service are you know just not going to happen. Uh, you know because it's essentially law at this point. So and uh, you know at least uh, you know speaking of you know taxes and stuff how. You know, sometimes uh, companies put fees on the bill that are completely bogus. Yes, I've seen that happen. Yes. Um, let's see, then it was maybe two weeks ago that I called up Verizon, and I'm like, yeah, I'm paying way too much uh, for my internet here, and they knocked like 15 bucks off uh, per month. That's nice. That's a lot of money when you add it up over a year's time. Yeah, So, and apparently I'm still not on a contract. So the next time I see one of those Fios tents in my uh, subdivision, I'm going to go over there and say, if I go on a contract, how much more money will I save? <laughs> so, so by doing a contract that would lock you into that price or that time period. Well, and and they also know that I will be a customer for, you know, X amount of months also. So, you know, they, they will be willing to knock down the price there too. I see. So... But, uh, yeah, let's go on to something uh, very major and very disturbing. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, you might have a Lenovo laptop there. Yes. Yeah, last summer I bought a Lenovo laptop. And so, so, so uh, like, you know, like all the junkware that uh, every you know company puts on their laptops? Yes. 
they always put junkware on these laptops and computers and companies are good for that. Yeah. So apparently Lenovo installed Superfish, which apparently happened just after you bought yours. Uh, this is apparently an app that uh, shows products on web pages similar to what you're looking at. This seems very sleazy, but that's not the bad part. The bad part is they installed a self-signed certificate to the root certificate store in Windows, allowing Superfish and anyone else to easily man in the middle any website, uh, like your bank. So the... Uh... The, the second article there that went, the guy detailed through the how he actually went and found this private key and to do that man in the middle attack. In it, he had mentioned that the password is um, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it right. What? Comedia. Comedia. Yep, that's it. He was saying that this uh, is a company, the name of a company that actually makes software for allowing people to like spy on the kids and and things like that. And so that points you in the direction of what kind of software was installed here. This would be software. Not only were they just supplying ads tailored to you, this could potentially be something used to spy on you. And just thinking about what's going on with the NSA and all that, I mean, I'm sure this would be a backdoor that they would have been interested in too. So, like, essentially all of uh, your internet data would have been proxied through them. So, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, essentially very disturbing. And, uh, like Lenovo is the number one, uh, OEM. So, like, they're, they sell more than Dell. They sell more than HP. Um, so this apparently affected every browser except for Firefox, apparently, because they have a, uh, Mozilla has a different certificate store, uh, that they use, uh, and not the, uh, main Windows one. So another another good reason not to use IE or evil Chrome and use <laughs> Firefox. So uh, with the awesome bar. Yes, with the awesome bar that's not awesome. It's it's better. After I installed the extension, it lets me search Google. with. I can prefix it with a G, put in a space, and I can use colons all I want, and it works. So yep. that basically makes it okay, I guess. So uh, uh, they have apparently... Uh, uh, discontinued their business relationship with uh, Superfish, and uh, they claim that as of January, it's no longer included on new system images. Uh, and uh, guess that the uh, the server that this was using was shut down. So I'm not sure if that broke everyone. So the the scary thing though is Lenovo quit doing this because they got caught. Yeah. And so fact was they they felt comfortable doing this so- to people. And so then that's that's bad that they, they feel comfortable doing yes. this to people. Yeah, the lesson is no one should want any kind of integrated comparison shopping software. Uh, you know, like software that will, you know, show, it's like, oh, it looks like you're looking at a blender. Here's like all the blenders uh, that we have, like in our catalog or whatever. Um, because it is literally the worst kind of software except for maybe ransomware. And yes. it is always consistently bad. Like, you don't want this. It is always some sort of uh, adware or malware, and, like, you know, like, someone somewhere can, like, track you on what you're doing. And if anyone wants either of this, you have permission to yell at them. Puts me in mind of the uh, traditional coupon, printer coupons, where you can't print out the coupon unless you download the program, and, of course, the program has spyware in it. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, again, you know, stuff like that. I have never seen anything that does this properly. 
like in any way that would uh, be considered safe and secure. Yep. You know, aside from maybe Google, like if you Google for blenders, like buy blenders or something. Okay, you might be okay there, but still. See, see, if it's an ad that happened right then, you type into Google buy blenders and they're going to show you ads relating to blenders. That's not, that's that session that's not, well, I mean, yes, they're stringing the sessions together, but in theory, they could do it without stringing the sessions together. They could just, with that session, help you find ads that are related to blenders, which makes sense. So, but uh, that's not really anything much. You know, the NSA, as you mentioned, is up to more things than just reading your email or finding out what you're buying. Uh, They apparently also like modifying hard drive firmware as well. So, like, this is pretty evil, uh, you know, is, you know, pretty evil. Like, you think, like, as you said, like, you could get around the Lenovo issue by, you know, reinstalling your own image of Windows. Like, you can actually download images from Microsoft, you know, that's just Windows 7 or Windows 8 or what have you. Yep. Uh, but if the uh, hard drive firmware is messed up, in other words, the software on your hard drive that tells your hard drive how to operate, if that is compromised, uh, like, that drive, you cannot trust it anymore, no matter even if it's, you know, completely formatted and, or whatever. Yes, we've seen the article there that, it was creating like a ghost copy of the data that was hidden, so you you can't scan it because it's in the firmware. The firmware is going to lie to you and say that nothing's there. Yeah. So uh, apparently, in two thousand nine, uh, one or more prestigious researchers received a CD by mail that contained pictures and other materials from a recent conference that they attended. The scientists didn't know it then, but the disc also delivered a malicious payload developed by a highly advanced hacking operation that had been in operation since at least 2001. The CD, it seems, was tampered on the way through the mail. Um, So it wasn't for the first time the operators called the Equation Group had intercepted a package in transit, booby-trapped contents, then sent it on its way. Uh, Apparently they also did something similar with Oracle Database installation CDs to infect a different target. So the interesting thing is it's Kaspersky, it seems, is doing all this research and, and checking into this. But uh, the concern is, uh, like in the article, uh, I think early on it, it mentioned Snowden and how it linked, they thought that this linked up with, with the NSA. Uh, Kaspersky is kind of sticking their nose into the government slash government's business. And it's it would be interesting how this company fares because uh, it, it's essentially, it's, Yes, it's fighting for security for people too, but it's also kind of fighting against the different governments. And so that's changing what security companies are and what they do because now suddenly they're becoming involved with the cyber warfare. Now it's not just security. It's, it could be across governments that they're yeah, specializing in. I mean, you know, when you're, you're talking about, you know, you know, how should I say this? When you're, you know, open up a socket to like some other server, when you're talking to some other server, and someone interferes with that, you know, the, you know, the government and a malicious attacker are undistinguishable, you know. I, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm just saying that Kaspersky is working in this. And so by working in this, they're becoming a player in the cyber warfare essentially is what it's doing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So uh, further down here. Uh, the malicious firmware created a secret storage vault that survived military-grade disk wiping and reformatting, uh, making sensitive data stolen from victims available even after the reformatting the drive and reinstalling the operating system. 
the firmware also provided programming interface programming interfaces that other code in the equation group sprawling library could access. Once the drive was compromised, the infection was impossible to detect or remove. And it displays uh, uh, forensic software output here that the equation group was able to commandeer uh, like several brands of drives, you know, like stuff from Toshiba, Samsung, uh, Western Digital, Mac Store, Hitachi, Seagate, uh, and see if I can think of, pick of any others here. But yeah, like pretty much every main brand Major drive. ones, yeah. Yeah. IBM, Hitachi, yeah. It, in another place in the article, it spoke of, uh, they, that this hacker group has for targeted systems that aren't on networks. That they have an ear gap method where they can infect flash drives with the icon file uh-huh. that it would play, and when you open up on your computer, so it would run it even if you're don't have, like have auto run enabled, it would still execute this code. Mm-hmm. So that put me in memory way back when when I was in college. I remember there was a big deal with in Iran. There had been some nuclear reactors that were going that they had not react. Yeah, uh, purifiers. I think it was purifiers. Yeah, like uh, centrifuge. Centrifuges, yeah. yeah. That's that's what enrichment, it's called. enrichment things, yeah. Enrichment centrifuges. Yep, that's what it is. And they had actually used software. Some group had hacked in and broken the software that ran the centrifuges and made caused damage to them and had set them back months in their program to enrich this uranium. And this put me in the mind of that the methodologies and what they did and the level of skill. This sounds very similar. Yeah, that I believe that was Stuxnet that did I that. I forget. It's, it's been a long time. Yeah, um, like uh, it it didn't break them out right. It's just that for about like for a minute or two every week that it uh, went slightly faster than it was supposed to. Yes, so it was like damaging them. Yeah, and then uh, and then like maybe for like five minutes it would run slightly slower. Um, but yeah, like that, that enough was enough to cause like a 2% failure rate over like six months. on here to what I've been doing uh, this past like two weeks or so. Um, so we've uh, discussed Moz JPEG before. Uh, remember that? Yes, I remember that. That was what uh, the Mozilla Foundation had figured out that there's more efficient ways they can encrypt uh, image data in the encode. JPEG. Image encode. Data. Okay. Yep. <laughs> encode. Encode the data in the JPEG image format so that it would actually be smaller and represent the data in a more accurate manner. Yes. Um, so I may have uh, leaked this before, but I uh, actually got to M Scripten and was trying to compile Moz JPEG into JavaScript with it, uh, but it wasn't going too well. Um, so, like, I'm not exactly sure what was going on. Like, I, you know, tried to debug it, but uh, apparently it just, you know, ejects, you know, very uncomprehensible kind of code. Uh, so instead, I'm like, okay, uh, let's scrap this, you know. And I went from JavaScript to Java and essentially made a GUI for this. Uh, so uh, this is essentially a front end to any kind of CJPEG uh, encoder. Uh, not just Moz JPEG, though. 
but I uh, specifically built it for Moz JPEG, though. Uh, so you know, it's essentially a UI that uh, you know you can adjust the quality of the JPEG. You can adjust the uh, uh, the chroma representation. Uh, so like, if you have ever seen like four colon two colon zero, that's like a specific. Uh, uh, like I'm not exactly sure how they measure it, but that's essentially the color definition of the image. Uh, so. Uh, like you can change that, and uh, it act- the best part is it gives you a live preview of oh, the nice. image. Uh, so you can adjust the things, and it'll be showing up as you're, you're tweaking the different settings. Yes, nice. And uh, you know, it also you know, you can resize it right in the uh, in the window there. Uh, it has it doesn't uh, really load any image bigger than about three megapixels or so, and I think that might just be because of my buffer sizes inside. Uh, but it's good enough for 1080p screenshots uh, because uh, I use this to essentially re-encode all the images on my blog. Uh, you know, due to the way I you know have it all set up and the way I uh, store my images, I can export everything from my blog. I can edit that export with the updated images, then import it back in. And I've noticed that the quality of the images has gone way up. Uh, but it's most noticeable in color definition and in 90s, uh, like, sprite-based games. Uh, so Prey, especially, uh, also StarCraft, Fallout, and Road Rash. Um, like, especially the Prey screenshot has a, uh, uh like a little uh, red figure down in the corner. And with the old way, it just pretty much, you know, went into a red blob. You couldn't really tell what it was. But now you can see, oh, it's sort of like an outline of a guy, and that's the health meter there. Okay, so the the, the sharpness was preserved in the image instead of kind of getting that fuzzy look to so, it. Yeah, so I think that might have also been because I have a new rule. So, like before, I sort of had a fuzzy guideline of about 60K. Like all of my images, uh-huh. you know, try to be around 60 kilobytes. But now I have a new one, and it's 80 kilobytes max. Uh, I stop at JPEG quality 80 if it's, you know, like I keep on upping the quality until it's, you know, 80 kilobytes. But if I uh, get up to JPEG quality 80, I stop, unless it's not still, unless it's still not good enough. Uh, for game images, I limit my resolution to 960 by 600, which is sounds pretty odd, but it's one half of my uh, screen's resolution. Uh, and for everything else that's not a screenshot, I'd like to keep it about that size. So looks like it was a, 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 a fun project that wasn't too too difficult. I was looking at the code; there wasn't the, the main class wasn't super long, so it seemed like a pretty fun, good, short, fun project. Yeah, the uh, the main thing happens, and I think it's in the encoder class. Yes, like I had to go over that. Like uh, I'm not sure how how much. But, uh, like, essentially it's calling the, uh, like, the process. Like, it's actually encoding the image, like, every time you adjust something. And, to give that live preview, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like, I had to figure out how in the world you work with uh, standard in and standard out streams uh, with regard to external processes in Java. So, like, uh, at some point I, like, uh, said, like, stop and wait for or something on the process. But that will hang if there's still data to be read from the uh, standard out. So oh, okay, because it has to finish the full flow before it yeah can it, pause. It has to like read everything out of the program before like it goes on. 
which I thought was sort of odd because like the program can finish, but you know, you can still keep the uh, standard out somewhere. Like you don't have to process that immediately. So like that sort of uh, mm. dumb struck me, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, this, this was kind of fun. So yeah, you can drag and drop files on there too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is like probably what I'll be using from now on. That's the beauty of building a tool like that as you go along and something annoys you, then you can, uh, uh, fix it. So, yes, and this is like my first, uh, C program that I actually compiled and it actually worked. <laughs> you know, like I downloaded someone else's C code, I compiled it, and the compiler didn't like cry and run away or something. Yeah, those those dependencies can be murder sometimes. I I remember in Linux, sometimes they're like, oh, well, here here's a a a, a ball file of uh, of the source code. Just just compile it and it'll work fine. And you like get it, and it's like, what do I do? It it can be it can be pain to compile yeah. that stuff. Like pretty much as soon as I have more than about ten megabytes of dependencies, I cry and run away. It's bad. Yeah. And I've worked through quite a few dependencies before, but yeah, when you get like like you said, so many layers deep, you eventually just give up. It's like really, we've just done so much dependency wise. Yeah. So uh, now for some uh, podcast feedback. Uh, so Ian chimes in, and he said that the Rainbow Road in Road Redemption is probably a reference to Mario Kart. And, you know, I agree, but I was thinking that it was something from a previous port or some version of Road Rash that had it, uh, but it doesn't look like that's the case. And that's the only way that Road Redemption tries to be cute. And uh, Ian says, Errant Plunks, uh, I believe it was like from the one before the Raspberry Pi episode. Errant Plunks. Yeah. We were, t- we were talking something about what Plunk meant in like a fringe or something. Is that what he's referencing? Um, No, it was your phone was going off. Okay, your phone was your phone was going off during the show. Okay, (laughs) so at least we know where it was coming from. Uh, Then Ian uh, goes on about DRM, and he says that different levels of DRM on different mediums fascinates me. Music is almost always DRM free unless you're on a streaming service. Books usually have DRM, but it's trivial to get around. The lashback in games has resulted in entire stores that are dedicated to DRM-free games, though Steam is still king. And then there's movies. I don't think I've ever seen an AAA movie. Does the AAA apply to movies as well? Uh, they're sold heavily copy-protected. Sure, doing DVDs isn't hard, but you still get you an ISO that's way too big to be worth it. Uh, as an industry, uh, they are way behind everything else. The theater system is partially to blame because selling the movies for home viewing is still an afterthought to them. And my response is, yes, video game DRM can be a problem, but let's talk about it. The big three publishers have had terrible DRM at some point in the last five years. Yes, technically Steam is DRM, but everyone loves it because Steam wor- Steam's DRM works for the consumer. Uh, an important distinction, and you can get Steam games for really cheap. Uh, I mentioned on a previous episode that Steam can release every game without DRM, and apparently will in the event of closure. Unfortunately, or maybe not unfortunately, uh, that's not going to happen for a very long time. It would be great if I could have those now, though. That That's a great point about this Steam, about how everyone likes Steam, because they actually do in a way that makes sense to the customer, and because it, it, it's true, it's handy. I can go to my laptop, I can go to my desktop, I log into Steam, I'm like, oh, I want this game. 
it's my game. I bought it once upon a time. I click it, it downloads it, and installs it. I can play it. And so it's easy. It's, it's actually handy being able to do that. So, And I don't think that the home viewing market is an afterthought. I'm pretty sure that there's more content on DVDs than on any other uh, massive consumer format. Uh, there's tons of really old stuff that never made it to VHS that are on DVD. And yes, I think AAA applies to movies also. Uh, you know that mechanism that makes big-budget games come out as the lowest common denominator to appeal to a wider audience? Well, they need that wider audience to sell and recoup more of their investments, so they simplify things, and all they end up doing is watering things down so that it barely appeals to anyone. A big gaming is there, and so is Hollywood. So that probably goes a long way in explaining their similarities with regards to DRM. Also, have you noticed that every movie is orange or blue? Uh, Ian also says, I wish I could answer Steven's question about RSS readers and Google Music, but I'm not sure what his goal is. Is he trying to get updated whenever a new artist releases an album? Is he trying to listen through music through an RSS reader? I can tell you that RSS readers are still quite big, at least because podcast managers are RSS readers that also have an audio player built in. So I was thinking along the lines of a reader that would download the podcast just like on the Android automatically for me. So it was kind of like a, an equivalent program would be Juice in Linux that just downloads it from the RSS feed. And I think that's what the, the Google, I forget the name of the product was that they had, did. Yeah, Google they Reader, would, maybe? You just point it to it. No, it was, it was an app for the Android that Google made, but they uh, did away with. Hmm. And so it was doing that. I, I looked for some various ones that one night, but they were kind of shady. Like a lot of people were saying they had adware in them or something. So I just haven't really downloaded any to test yet. But if you know of any good ones. So then our Snapdragon expert chimes in and says, sadly, I am not well versed in ARM either. I remember having an Android phone back in the day when they still ran V6, but they couldn't really handle flash slash video well. When V7 came to Android, the ecosystem flourished. V8 is x64, and there are instructions and pipeline improvements that make V8 even better than V7, I guess. I don't really criticize the architectures of Snapdragon. I criticize the insanely delay progress Qualcomm is essentially silent about. And all I gotta say to that is x64 usually refers to 64-bit x86. Um, I think I will get a Pi 2 eventually also, but I'll wait a few more days until all the sites become stable again. It would be neat to set up a webcam to, s it would be neat to set up a webcam with it and spy on the dog while I'm on campus. And I asked him for some clarification. Uh, when I went to the Raspberry Pi website, uh, the day that it came out or somewhere, uh, it wasn't loading. And when I went to Element 14, the sign up page, uh, timed out twice. So, so that means they're getting, uh, hammered that bad with people buying pies but you know i noticed it was a little slow but it wasn't egregious like it wasn't that bad so oh well uh i heard your buzzing mic fringe it sounds a lot like matt's cad u1 when it started dying a couple of years ago i bought an audio technica atr 2100 usb uh is which is what i used it uh, has a usb and xlr so it's flexible but i use xlr with it since we have the mixer in the studio I didn't hear the buzz in the actual show, so that's fine. So, and I didn't either, but I remember at the very end, that I think there was, but I, I believe that was before I added the music in. So music covereth a multitude of audio sins. There you go. So have you noticed any feedback today? Uh, no. 
Okay, so that's interesting because this is the same setup, the same microphone phone. Well, okay, I have a different pair of headphones plugged in. That's the only different thing I can think of. So, and if you would like to submit uh, any feedback, please do so on the Nexus.tv. And uh, don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up all your stuff, which is what I've been doing in between blowing out the dust everywhere. So, uh, hi, Mom. Hope you got back from Florida. Oh, yeah, she's been in Florida for like two or three weeks, so. Been escaping all the snow and the cold. Yeah, and I, I have informed her that there will be lots of snow waiting for her when she gets back. I think it'll be, like, sometime this coming week. Sure, it won't be molded by then, so she will have it to look forward to then. Yes. So, uh, as for me, I guess I'll stay inside and play video games for a while. So, I believe I'm pretty close to uh, posting about the one I just finished playing. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Other than that, I suppose I might get around to doing my taxes at some point. So. Yeah, yeah, I've got mine partially done. I've got to finish mine, too. So, aside from that, I think that's it, unless you wanted to throw something else in. Yeah, I'm pretty much just trying to get rested back up again from from the week, and I don't know, no, I, I pulled my traps here on, on last the beginning of last week, so trapping season ended today, so I'll have to find a new, new hobby thing to do in the evenings now. All right, so looks like I might have to find some other things to do, too. So uh, have a good one. Have a good one.